Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Good evening, and thank you again for being with us. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we begin a three-day vigil, standing, praying, watching, with the family of Troy Davis, with America, standing in solidarity for justice the Georgia Board of Pardons and Paroles continues the review that started this morning of the clemency request on behalf of Troy Davis, age 42. He is a convicted murderer sentenced to die on Wednesday. A jury found Troy Davis guilty in 1991 of the 1989 murder of Mark McPhail, a Savannah, Georgia police officer. People around the world who have rallied around Troy Davis, from Jimmy Carter to the Pope to the NAACP president, Benjamin Jealous, point out that 10 witnesses have signed affidavits recanting their testimony, saying they were coerced by police. At 3.42 p.m. this afternoon, Reverend Raphael Warnock, pastor of Ebenezer, Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, Martin Luther King's home church, told a local Savannah television station 
that he was among the last to testify today in defense of Troy Davis before the Georgia State Board of Pardons and Paroles. In his statement, he said that he was reminded that the board had a unique role among the various entities in the American criminal justice system and that while they respond to the civil law, they also have an obligation and in this case, they have no no they have room to respond to a higher law. Reverend Warnock told that local television station that the criminal justice system keeps pressing pause. There's something in the gut, quote, that says he should not be executed. That's why the 11th Circuit stopped it. That's why the Supreme Court stopped it. This board stopped it two years ago, yet here we are. Close those quotes from Reverend Warnock of Atlanta, Georgia. He told the news organization that he was on his way following his testimony to visit Troy Davis in prison in Jackson, Georgia. At 3.03 p.m. this afternoon, several family members of Troy Davis testified uh, in the defense portion of the hearing. They were then going back and forth between the Atlanta building where the hearing is taking place and their hotels. Among the family members present on Monday, on today, were his sisters Kimberly Davis, Martina Carrera, and his nephew Anton Carrera. One of the original jurors, Brenda Forrest, who you will hear from later, um, was also at the hearing. Supporters for Troy Davis say the petition signatures they began collecting several days ago in person and via the Internet now are nearing one million. And tonight here at Our Common Ground, what we are doing is to ensure that we stand strong with the family, with Mr. Davis and the family of Troy Davis. Our number is 347-838-9852. And in this vigil over the next three days, until this comes to a close, we are going to be taking your calls each night at 10 p.m. and listening to your stories, the ways in which you have helped, the ways in which you will continue to stand in solidarity for justice for Troy Davis. Tonight we're going to be listening to some information that is important as you review as we stand. Here is a report, a local report from Savannah, Georgia, this afternoon. Well, today the defense team for death penalty inmate Troy Davis made their final attempt at sparing his life. Davis's legal team went before the Georgia Board of Parole and Pardons today and spoke from late morning to early afternoon, presenting as much information as they possibly could to keep Davis from facing lethal injection on Wednesday. Now, Davis, who's accused of killing an off-duty police officer, had his group of lawyers lay out their case for why he should be granted clemency. However, the family of slain police officer Mark McPhail 
will give the last testimony. Now, Davis's case has been up for debate for several years due to a lack of physical evidence linking Davis to the murder. And by the way, of course, seven of the nine witnesses recanting their testimony since the original trial. Now, the 42-year-old death row inmate has faced a series of appeals and calls for retrials, ordered by parts of the judicial system, judicial system all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. But no judge has found enough evidence to actually retry Davis's case. Now, despite the global attention to this death penalty case, the mainstream media has only recently started reporting on it. A campaign for clemency has spread around the world, but today the only views that matter belong to the Georgia Board of Pardons. This weekend, thousands flooded the streets calling for clemency, and just this morning, Davis's supporters gathered outside the building where the board is meeting. Now, in the state of Georgia, the Board of Pardons and Parole has the sole authority to grant clemency for a death row inmate. And it's rarely happened. But the defense team has high hopes because three of the five members of the parole board have changed since 2009. That was when the board's last ruling was. So it's giving hopes of a new majority decision in Davis's case. But as we wait to hear which way the Georgia Board of Pardons rules, it's clear that the death penalty process in this country is far from perfect. A man whose guilt is seriously in question is only two days away from his execution, with his fate in the hands of the Georgia Parole Board. And tonight we uh, solicit your calls at 347-838-9852. We are attempting to bring you up to date. Uh, there has been no decision made by the Georgia State Board of Pardons and Paroles. The board heard today the uh, case presented by the um, rep legal representatives of Troy Davis. Uh, tomorrow, the board is expected to issue a decision. The board can grant clemency and commute the death sentence to life without parole, life with the possibility of parole, or deny clemency, or issue a stay to further consider the case. And um, I am suspecting that this case has become so uh, politically magnetic that it has such political implications uh, that this board may very well um, issue a stay so that they can continue to hear evidence of innocence and guilt uh, in this case, we're wondering what you are thinking. We we invite your stories, your voice, your prayers. We are waiting, watching, and standing, and will be waiting and watching and standing tonight, tomorrow night, and Wednesday night, standing in solidarity with Troy Davis and thus with justice. Our number is 347-838-9852. I'm Janice Graham. And one of the things I do want to review uh, tonight are some statements uh, from the Innocence Project uh, that were made on Politics Nation on MSNBC this evening because I think it's uh, some important stuff uh, that we need to understand about this case. But we will take your calls because we think that your voice should be heard. Many of us are grieving personally 
over how this process has transpired. I know that uh, I have essentially been thinking of nothing else than what is going to happen with this hearing uh, today and yesterday and Saturday and Friday and I am sure tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be a critical day, whether or not this board, the Georgia Board of Pardons and Parole, will issue a stay, will they deny clemency, or will they issue um, a clemency with life, a life sentence? I'm Janice Graham, and you're listening to Our Common Ground. The eyes of the world are on Georgia today as Troy Davis fights for his life in a final bid for clemency. Just two days before his scheduled execution, Davis was found guilty in 1989 for the murder of police officer Mark Allen McPhail. The conviction was based largely on eyewitness testimony. Most of them have since recanted or changed their stories. Troy's final appeal was today in a hearing before Georgia's Board of Pardons and Parole. Outside the meetings, protesters gathered to call for clemency, adding their voices to a chorus. That includes former President Jimmy Carter, the Pope, 51 members of Congress, 660,000 people who signed petitions demanding justice. This morning, the board heard from Troy Davis' defense team about the unreliability of eyewitness testimony, the very thing that landed him on death row. The jury did not hear uh, a great deal of the evidence that's been before the board, both presented today and that's been presented to them uh, on paper. They heard a very, very different case uh, than the case that we know of today. The board will make a decision sometime before Wednesday at 7 p.m. when Davis is scheduled to be executed by lethal injection. His life is in their hands. It is, uh, that was the uh, broadcast of Politics Nation on MSNBC with um, Al Sharpton at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is very clear that eyewitness identification was the most important thing that brought this to a death sentence. Troy Davis to a death sentence, even though nine out of the ten witnesses in regard to um, the uh, identification of the shooter in this case, in the 1989 shooting of Officer McPhail in Savannah, Georgia, um, it is clear that there are some real problems with eyewitness identification, and we'll hear more from an expert on uh, eyewitness identification in this uh, broadcast. But one of the things that has happened in the last couple of days is that uh, the Innocence Project has issued their 2011 annual report um, regarding um, the cases uh, that um, the cases of people who have been sent to prison 
people who have been on death row who were in fact innocent. And we should know those cases and we should understand the causes of those cases. And one of the greatest causes, 75% of convictions which have been overturned through DNA testing have been eyewitness identification. It's the single greatest cause of wrongful, wrongful convictions in this country, and it plays a role in more than 75% of the convictions. While eyewitness testimony can be persuasive evidence before a judge or jury, there are, in this report, it indicates there are 30 years of strong social science research which has proven that eyewitness identification is often reliable. The research shows that the human mind is not like a tape recorder. You, we don't record events exactly as we see them, nor recall them like a tape that has been rewound. Instead, witness memory is like any other evidence of the crime scene. It must be preserved carefully and retrieved methodically, or it can be contaminated. And I'd like to share with you some comments uh, from the Innocence Project in regard to the Troy Davis case. Very welcome to the show. I was in Atlanta uh, for the protest on Friday and have been there the last couple of years, and I clearly have protested this case with Nash Action Network. You and I have worked on a lot of cases. But what can you tell us about what happened today? I know that uh, outsiders were not allowed in, but I know you, and I know you have some sense of what may have went in front of this board today. Well, we have been working on this case for a long time, Reverend Sharpton, and uh, uh, Dr. Jennifer Dicehart, who is an eyewitness expert at the John Jay School of Criminal Justice, who actually worked on that uh, report that was uh, issued today uh, uh, by the Innocence Project, the American Judicature Society. She went down there to testify as a witness because, uh, as you've indicated, uh, there were uh, seven witnesses that recanted in this case, but they were the worst eyewitness procedures you could possibly imagine. Uh, the police took witnesses back to the scene of the crime and staged a reenactment so all the witnesses talked to each other. You could never do that today. Now, now just a second, thrown... right there is a very important point. They brought the witnesses and they let the witnesses actually talk to each other while they were going through what they were supposed to be describing as what they objectively saw as witnesses. Right, and all the psychological research shows that uh, that's about the worst thing that you can do. And uh, by present best practices, that would never be allowed today. The police also showed single photos. Uh, but putting all that aside, I mean, this is a terrible eyewitness case, and they all recanted. Uh, but the, the key thing that the Board of Pardon and Parole seemed to be interested in today, Reverend Sharpton, is that they heard from one of the jurors. Actually, there are three jurors that have recanted and said, please don't... Uh, uh, execute Troy Davis. Three uh, but, jurors that voted him guilty. Yes, but one of them uh, who was testifying today named Brenda Forrest, right. uh, who says that she's a strong supporter of the death penalty still, especially for cop killers, but uh, given what she now knows about the ballistic evidence, which is something that people have not focused on, uh, there was evidence put before the jury uh, that the bullet that killed Officer McPhail uh, came from the same gun as a bullet that was fired at a party uh, reputedly by Troy Davis. Now, 
the Georgia Bureau of Investigation now agrees that uh, they can no longer say that the testimony they put before the jury is reliable and accurate, and they can't say that uh, the bullet that killed the officer came from uh, the same gun that was shot at that party. And so uh, uh, Brenda Forrest told the Board of Pardon and Parole that given that evidence, uh, she certainly could never have voted uh, uh, to execute Troy Davis at the penalty phase. And they were very interested in that. They kept on questioning her about it. And Jen Dysart, Dr. Dysart, couldn't even testify because they kept on inquiring about that. Uh, well, that's startling information. If you're, if you're given information and, and you're on this board that a ballistic report that was given at trial uh, ended up not being accurate and a juror saying that had I not had that, I would not have voted him guilty. I think that's a compelling piece of evidence that we've not really focused on. Well, that's exactly what happened. There's no doubt that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation is saying that the ballistics testimony is unreliable and uh, should not have been used. And this juror was questioned at length uh, by the uh, members of the board because they wanted to know how important that was in the deliberations. And she said it was very important. We discussed wow. it at length. So uh, that gives me some hope. There are three new uh, board members. Uh, one of the holdover board members is a prosecutor named Keller, and uh, he was a prosecutor in a case involving Calvin Johnson, who uh, was exonerated with DNA testing. So I know he at least knows that uh, these kinds of mistakes can happen. And I think people really have to understand that, uh, you know, there was a hearing, a very unusual hearing that a federal judge heard uh, evidence in this case, and he made a finding that uh, there's not enough proof here of quote-unquote actual innocence to just throw yeah. aside the conviction. But that is a lot different than what the Board of Pardon and Parole is supposed to do. They're a safety valve. And uh, while you can't say, oh, uh, legally, the judge was saying uh, that we have definitive proof of actual innocence, but there's plenty of substantial doubt here. And, and they, can, exactly they can actually the kind of say, case that they should they can say the execution, couldn't they? They can stay it and maybe hear more evidence. But, but I'll tell you, uh, Reverend Sharpton, you know, I think that the family of uh, uh, the victim in this case, who everybody feels right. terrible for, Absolutely. you know, this has been going on for years and years. And, you know, the proof is there. Uh, this is... Uh, uh, you know, death penalty supporters like Congress, former Congressman Barr, uh, William Sessions, former head of the FBI. People yep. have looked at this evidence, realized. I've got to go, Barry. Thank too you. Too much doubt. They Thank you. Do as it. always, you give us a lot of depth and, 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 and really get to the key matters that have been overlooked. Barry Sheck, thank you for your time. Thank you, Reverend, for all you're doing on this case. That was Barry Sheck uh, on the uh, policy. Um, Politics Nation with Reverend Al Sharpton on MSNBC this evening uh, talking about what occurred uh, what occurred um, uh, today uh, with the Georgia Board of Parole uh, Pardons and Paroles. If you're just joining us, this is a special edition of Our Common Ground. We are beginning our three-day, three-night vigil uh, for Troy Davis, uh, standing and watching and waiting and um, looking at what will occur 
will it be justice or injustice wrought and written by judicial law? The Georgia Board of Pardons and Paroles is continued uh, will continue tomorrow their review. It started this morning of the clemency request on behalf of Troy Davis. He is 42 years old. He's a convicted murderer, sentenced to die on Wednesday, this Wednesday. Uh, they de- the board delayed a decision whether to grant or deny clemency to Davis after hearing appeals for mercy from his family and calls for his execution by surviving relatives of a murdered Savannah police officer. The reason that we think that it is important to stand and watch is because on the bottom line, we are all Troy Davis. This is a case wherein the law is an impediment to justice. Davis is scheduled to be put to death by legal by lethal injection on Wednesday at 7 p.m. at the state prison in Jackson. He was sentenced to death for the 1989 murder of off-duty Savannah police officer Mark Allen McPhail. And we maintain that the family of Mark Allen McPhail and, Ms. and Officer McPhail deserve justice in this case. Today, Davis's lawyer said that they believe they'd made their case, that there is too much doubt in the Davis case. But members of McPhail's family expressed confidence the board would deny clemency. After Davis's lawyers made their three-hour presentation, Stephen Marsh, who is the lead attorney, Um, emerged from the hearing and said, we believe we have established substantial doubt in this case. One of the things that is so scary to me is that substantial doubt has been made, the case of substantial doubt has been made on other cases, on other previous uh, venues in uh, in this case. We invite your calls. We invite your prayers, if you are a praying person, for Troy Davis, your stories, and your voice to be heard. Um, As the nation stands still, looking at what will happen in this case. Uh, I'm sure that many of you have questions, or many of you have seen things that um, are not necessarily... Um, everyone has picked up. You know, one of the things, uh, as I previously stated, that in in cases of wrongfully convicted persons in this country, eyewitness misidentification is the single greatest cause. Another uh, is false confession. In about 25% of the exoneration cases uh, on DNA exoneration cases, innocent victims have made incriminating statements, delivered outright confessions, or pled guilty. And these cases show that confessions are not always prompted by internal knowledge or actual guilt, but are sometimes motivated 
by external influences. Then there is the matter of unvalidated or improper forensic science. Since the 1980s, DNA analysis has helped identify the guilty and exonerate the innocent nationwide. While DNA testing was developed through extensive scientific research at top academic centers, many other forensic techniques such as hair microscopy, bite mark comparisons, firearm tool marks, analysis and shoe print comparisons have never been subjected to rigorous scientific evaluation. Meanwhile, forensics techniques that have been properly validated, such as serology, commonly known as blood typing, are sometimes improperly conducted or inaccurately conveyed in trial testimony. I hope that you heard in the comments made by Barry Sheck the whole notion of how badly the crime scene was handled and how poorly today it would not have been admissible any statement made by any of the witnesses because the witnesses had talked to each other. The the Savannah police had actually gathered up all of the witnesses in cars and taken them to the crime scene and had them act out in front of each other their testimony. In addition, the Savannah police had shown single photographs, something that would never be tolerated today. It would simply have been thrown out of court. The other is that a witness that did not come forward in the previous night at the crime scene, at the time of the crime, showed up at the police station the next day fingering Troy Davis but no gun handling analysis was ever conducted on that person even though one of the witnesses had pointed to this person as the shooter the previous night. So uh, there, there. You know, uh, many of you who were with us on on Saturday night, and I made the statement that I cannot support the death penalty for many reasons. One of them is that you can retry a person, but you can't bring a person back from the dead when you figure out you've made the wrong call, or that the evidence was tainted or that the confessions were untrue, or that a witness misidentified. But there is another reason that in our community we need to be careful about our support of the death penalty. And one is prosecutorial misconduct. It remains a largely underdeveloped research issue in large part because of the challenges of defining what constitutes misconduct, but also because some misconduct 
never comes to light. For example, it is impossible to know the extent to which prosecutors or police officers engage in misconduct, especially if it involves suppressing potential exculpatory evidence that never gets disclosed at trial. Did you hear me? Suppressing potentially exculpatory evidence. Evidence that must be shared with the defense that never gets disclosed at trial. Now, uh, some people will say, well, uh, a good legal uh, attorney, a good legal team will figure that out. Well, in Troy Davis's case, in his trial stage, he did not have competent, well, I won't say competent, but he did not have the quality of counsel that was necessary for facing a death penalty charge. Because why? He didn't have the money. So, um, but in his case, he was um, he was convicted based on eyewitness um, evidence, and uh, now uh, these people, the eyewitness. Uh, people are saying the 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 witnesses are saying that based on coercion they issued their statements let's take a look at eyewitness id it was an early in the morning i felt something in my room something brushed my arm and when i looked over the side of the bed i noticed it was a person's head and that's when i said who is that? Who's there? And he immediately sprang up on the bed and um, straddled my body and put a knife to my throat and told me to shut up or he was going to kill me over the next 20 minutes um, during the assault as he raped me. I um, made two decisions. One is if there was a way I could live, I would figure it out. And if I lived, I wanted to memorize everything about this person. So I began to um, pay really close attention to details about his face and his eyes and his voice and his hair and how much he weighed, the clothing he was wearing. I was convinced uh, that Jennifer would be able to recognize her assailant. She was able to provide a, a detailed description, not only in terms of his physical appearance, but also what he wore at the time of the uh, assault. It uh, was clear to me that she had an ample opportunity to see him. Coupled with her determination and presence of mind, I was convinced without a doubt that she could identify her assailant. More than 250 convicted prisoners have been exonerated on the basis of DNA testing in the U.S. alone. Eyewitness misidentification played a role in more than 75% of those cases making it the leading contributing factor to wrongful conviction. But unfortunately, witnesses are often wrong. How can this happen? And is it possible for us to prevent these eyewitness identification errors from happening? We received an anonymous tip 
that Ronald Cotton not only fit the composite in terms of appearance, but the general description of the assailant. We had his photo on file, and we felt like he could be a good suspect in this particular case and thought that we should do a photographic lineup. Within two days, I was asked to come down and look at a photo array. The officer said, we're going to show you six photographs. Don't feel compelled to choose any one. The suspect may or may not be in there. Then you're in a police department, and there's a photo lineup. There's this sense that one of these has got to be their suspect, and it's my job to find him. I began to narrow it down. I could very quickly discount four of them, narrowing it down to two photographs. According to the records, Jennifer examined the two photographs for four to five minutes. Research shows that memory is highly malleable and that an eyewitness who is uncertain can become much more certain over time. I noticed that she did focus on uh, photograph number four for a bit, then moved over to uh, Ronald Cotton's photograph, which I think was number six, before picking it up and saying that this was the man who raped me. And I wanted to be very confident and very sure, so I took my time. And that's when I held up the picture of Ronald Cotton and said, this is the man who did this. They said, are you sure? And I said, I'm positive. And they looked at me and said, we thought that was the guy. Since the officers present knew that Ronald Cotton was the suspect um, in this case, it's possible that they unconsciously provided information to Jennifer Thompson. And we do know that Jennifer Thompson's confidence was influenced by the positive feedback that she did receive after making her identification. In laboratory studies, researchers compare groups of participants who receive feedback to individuals who did not receive that kind of information in a control group. And what we know is that people who receive feedback, their confidence skyrockets just like it did for Jennifer Thompson after her identification in this case. And there was a huge relief that washed over me because I had gotten it right. On August 8th, 11 days after the assault, Jennifer Thompson was brought in to view a physical lineup consisting of seven men. Ronald Cotton was the only lineup participant whose picture had been present in the photo array that Jennifer Thompson saw. And repeating only one individual in multiple procedures increases witness confidence even when that witness is wrong. And as we walked out of the room, I remember looking at the officer saying, how did I do? Did I do okay? And one of the officers said, you did great. That was the guy you picked out in the photo lineup. By the time she testified in court and identified Ronald Cotton as her assailant, she was 100% certain. Ronald Cotton's conviction was based primarily on the eyewitness identification evidence of Jennifer Thompson. But we know that Ronald Cotton was completely innocent of this crime. He was exonerated based on DNA evidence in June 1995. At the same time, it was learned that another man who was in prison for very similar crime was actually the person who raped Jennifer Thompson. I can remember thinking to myself, if that's wrong, if Bobby Poole raped me and it wasn't Ronald Cotton, then maybe everything I thought was true is not true. Well, she just made an honest mistake. I was lucky that that was DNA evidence. After having the opportunity to serve on the Actual Innocence Commission, I learned so much about memory, how it works. I learned about better practices that law enforcement could utilize as it relates to eyewitness identification. And it was incumbent upon me as police chief to move forward and embrace those recommendations.
because I certainly did not want to see this happen again to somebody else like Ronald Cotton. He lost 11 years of his life. I firmly believe because of a faulty eyewitness policy that we had in place in 1984 and something that actually continued to be common practice until 2008 in our state when eyewitness identification reform was made law. Several easy-to-implement changes to procedures have been shown to significantly decrease the number of misidentifications in the states that have adopted them. The most crucial change to procedures is the double-blind administration of lineups. Double-blind administration is when the officer who's conducting the identification procedure is not aware of which lineup member is the suspect in the case. What's also critical is that the witness in the case is told that the officer doesn't know the identity of the suspect. In addition to double-blind administration, other best practices include proper lineup composition, instructions to the witness, confidence statements, recording the procedure, and sequential presentation. Yeah, we're super close. <laughs> we go across the country, do work on judicial reform or helping to pass bills or advocating for best practices or just talking to students at college and high school level. Um, so we just stay really busy. family, ancestors no leave me, now you're being Bobo Shanti. Olivet Williams, the Woman's Song Community Experience Radio Broadcast, and I am Troy Davis, and you will be too if you remain silent. This is JC from Compton, California, and I am Troy Davis. Peace. Paul Hayes, Decatur, Georgia. I am Troy Davis. Been fighting for him for years. This is Tandy, and I am Troy Davis. My name is Amate Kimsa, and I am Troy's brother, Power. This is Mia, and I am Troy Davis. All right, my name is Mike Zell. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am Troy Davis. I'm Xavier, and I'm from Atlanta, and I'm Troy Davis. My name is Yehuda Torre, and I am Troy Davis. Uh, my name is Justice Torre, and I am Troy Davis. This is Alita Torre, and I am Troy Davis. I'm Deborah Grant. I'm in Houston, Texas, and I am Troy Davis. This is Ife Kwali Shakur from Charlotte, North Carolina, and I am Troy Davis. This is Anunnaki Netheret calling from England, UK. I am Troy Davis. Set me free. I am innocent. This is INAB, Atlanta by way of Detroit, and I am Troy Davis. This is Michael Paul, and I am Troy Davis. This is Timothy Killers, and I am Troy Davis. 
Yeah, this Mr. Ochoa. If y'all ain't sure that that man did that ish, y'all shouldn't convict that ish. You know what I'm saying? I'll call him to have a Troy Davis. If he did it, and you know beyond the shadow of a doubt he did it, then you do it. But if you don't, in the circumstances, you got to acquit it. You got to forget it. Let that man live if y'all ain't got enough proof. I'm La Amon, and I am Troy Davis. My name's Adrian. I'm from New Orleans, and I am Troy Davis. Thank you. This is Julia McKinnon, and I am Troy Davis. My name is Erica Boyd. I'm from Atlanta, and I am Troy Davis. You could be Troy Davis, too. This is Tawana, and I am Troy Davis. Hi, my name is Naeem Waters, and I am Troy Davis. My name is Jose Sanchez from Atlanta, and I am Troy Davis. I am Troy Davis. Del McLean, Cop Watch of East Atlanta. I am Troy Davis. My name is Marlon. I'm in East Atlanta. I am Troy Davis. Free all political prisoners. My name is Vincent Castellenti, Atlanta, Georgia. I am Troy Davis. My name is Carter Thomas, Atlanta Industrial Workers of the World. I am Troy Davis. I'm William Garnett of Alpharetta, Georgia. I am Troy Davis. Pardon him. Quasi, Ronald Harris, Chicago, Illinois. Speak out. Take action. Fight back. Guru Salsa, freedom now for Troy Davis. At this point in time, we must recognize no physical evidence. Release him. No murder weapon. Release him. A claim to innocence never heard. Release him. Seven of the nine eyewitnesses recanted. Release him. Stop the execution of Troy Davis. In the spirit of our ancestors, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You're tuned in to the Our Common Ground Troy Davis Vigil. Thank you for being with us tonight. If I knew then what I know now, Troy Davis would not be on death row. You have a situation that is extremely emotionally charged for the police themselves. The witnesses have testified that they were subject to undue police pressure or coercion. When the witnesses recant that testimony, there's no case left. This person could die for something they didn't do. A verdict that's not ironclad is not good enough to support a death penalty.
living. And last year, Troy came within 23 hours of being executed, and the clemency board, the Georgia Pardon Parole Board, gave him a 90-day stay. And we tried to go through the court systems, and the Georgia Supreme Court ruled against us in the spring 4-3 to with the chief justice writing a strong dissenting opinion, saying that the court was morally wrong in its decision not to give him at least a hearing because most likely his hearing would have led to a new trial and Troy would have been exonerated. And so the prosecutors in Savannah, Georgia, what they did was they waited till the Supreme Court was actually out on hiatus, and they got a judge in Savannah to sign a death warrant because the prosecutors do not have to wait for the Supreme Court because we still had a cert petition before the Supreme Court, and they weren't even supposed to review it until October. And so what they did was they tried to circumvent the court by getting an execution date for Troy, and then the parole board came forward, and they moved the clemency hearing up. The execution date is actually September 23rd, but they moved the clemency hearing up until today so they can hear from additional witnesses who have never been heard in a court of law and witnesses who other witnesses have recanted. So today we're hoping that the Georgia Parole Board will stand on its word when they say that there will not be an execution in the state of Georgia when there's doubt. And there's only one witness that stands against Troy, and that's the witness that nine additional people say is the actual murderer in this case. There's no DNA, no gun, no weapon, and only the eyewitness testimony is what convicted my brother Troy Anthony Davis in Savannah, Georgia, of killing an off-duty police officer. And all of those witnesses, except for one, has came and changed their testimony. And the other witness, the only thing that he knew was that the person was left-handed and Troy is right-handed. So today, we had a big rally last night at the state capitol where people came from all over the state of Georgia and other places in the United States. We had clergy. We had groups from all over, all kind of organizations. They're going to have a prayer vigil today in front of the parole board from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. We have people faxing letters, texting letters. Uh, we have people calling the parole board, and we're asking for clemency for Troy because the parole board has the power to save his life because the court system failed us and did not address this anti-terrorism effective death penalty act, which hinders Troy's case. And so right now we're asking them to really save Troy's life, and we want everybody to go to Amnesty International USA.org, and they can find all the information about Troy's case. That's Amnesty International USA.org, and they can just. At 7.19 p.m. this evening, Eastern Standard Time, the Georgia State Board of Parole, Pardons and Paroles officially broke up for the day in its review of clemency requests for condemned inmate Troy Davis. Based on how the board has con conducted itself in past reviews, the NAACP reports that the prevailing expectation among grassroots organizations observing the case is that the board will announce a decision on tomorrow, Tuesday, September 20th. Troy Davis' execution is scheduled for 7 p.m. Our number here at Our Common Ground on this three, the first night of a three-day vigil is 347-838-9852, and we would like to get your response to what has occurred today, what is being reported, and what you expect. 
there is a beyond the Troy Davis case, and that is that the issues that have been raised in regard to his scheduled execution and the overwhelming amount of doubt as he faces execution. And we'd like to get your your take on what those things will be. It, it uh, During the course of the last couple of days, I have been thinking about what the response will be nationally uh, in the event that this board does not issue a clemency or uh, a stay in this case. And uh, I'm wondering if any of you have been thinking about that as well. We're going to go into our chat room, and for those of you who are listening, would like to join our chat room, you can do so by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Um, oh, Henry has some interesting um, um, uh, comments in the chat room. And he says that one of Davis's major obstacles has been the Federal Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act legislation, which was championed by the former House Speaker and current Republican candidate for president, Newt Gingrich, as part of his contract with America and signed by President Bill Clinton. He further goes on to say the act was passed in 1996 as a way of reforming what Gendrich called the current interminable frivolous appeals process. And O'Henry notes that the major provisions in that act reduced new trials for convicted criminals and sped up their sentences by restricting a federal court's ability to judge whether a state court had correctly interpreted the U.S. Constitution and indicates in his note 234 people have been convicted um, with a death penalty sentence. Uh, Crimes have been freed after DNA evidence proved their innocence, but many, many others are just trying to get a court to review their case. And he is absolutely correct that this has exacerbated law. And as I maintain, law which has become an impediment to justice. Because, I mean, oh, Henry, you're talking about somebody who's not interested in justice. Uh, New Gendridge has has demonstrated time and time again that his American patriotism only has to do with him and his kind. Our lines are open, 347-838-9852, and we'd like to hear from you. You're tuned into a special edition of Our Common Ground, a three-night vigil to stand and wait and watch with Troy Davis. 404, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. 
Yes, ma'am. Uh, should I speak now or just stand by? You can go right ahead. What's on your mind? Oh, okay. Hey, uh, I'm calling from Decatur, Georgia. My name's Stuart Clinton. Uh, Thank I, you, Stuart, for calling. for joining us tonight. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for for your work and uh, all of the spirits that are out tonight and around this issue. As, as definitely to your question, yes, it has been on my mind. Uh, in fact, uh, the in the effect that this will have on the rest of the world and on our standing with our people here in America who are truly, truly of the same spirit, regardless of party or race or faction or belief system, you know, uh, that that this case, I believe, is, I've never seen anything like it. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just an artist but um, and a retired military man. But um, I, I've never seen or experienced the, 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 the sheer... Uh, awareness of, of this case. I know it's happened before, but not with this Internet. Uh, act, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. with the technology we have available to us, yes. Ma'am, so uh, I'm I'm feeling just on the basis of everything. I mean, you got the Pope, the presidents, uh, you know, everyone's spoken out. What What's the problem, you know? It's like it, it, it boils down to people with such little power, such little influence, uh, literally ignoring obvious facts? I mean, is, is that what we've come to? So this is going to make a statement about America and, and who really holds not just the power, but what they're willing to do with it, you know, in terms of the genocide. I think personally, on the spiritual level, it'll likely be an earthquake. On the, on the, the factual level, that this is a, 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 an indication of what they're going to do in terms of imposing the same uh, restrictions and, and imprisonments and, and, and aggression on the innocent and the poor here in this country. It, I think it, there, it's a test, literally, of our response and how we're, how, how we're willing to stand up right now. I think that they're, mm -hmm. they're making a statement, that the powers that be are making a statement right now with this case. Come on, you got the Pope. You know, if the Pope called in on it, you know, that means the mm -hmm. entire community is listening. From here, I lived mm -hmm. in Rome, before, not Rome, but in the Naples next to Rome for a minute. And I, I lived among the Italian people, and I'll tell you, those are some very spiritual people down there. You I, know, I it's really interesting that you say that, Stuart, because uh, I lived in Florence oh, really? for six months. Uh-huh. And... Okay. When I say I lived there, I was living and working there, so I lived there. I wasn't a tourist uh, no, no, in yes, a sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. I lived, I but lived one of the years. things that I thought about is where is the Catholic Church? Here is the Pope yes. who yes. is calling for justice in this matter, yes. and the yes. American Catholic community has not stood yet. Behind your own that, Pope. Wow, that I don't understand. I I I tell you the truth. Also, Miss Miss Grant is um. I I I don't think there. And when I look at, I'm a media major as well. You know, I'm a builder, media major, retired service member slash you know other things. But um, you're an experienced, I, wise man. You've yeah, been through the God, fires. God is blessing. I grew up in the South Bronx, so you know, go figure. Uh huh. But um. 
I'm blessed to be alive, and I, I, I've actually visited multiple of the humanities majors, so multiple religions and faiths, and I lived in 12 countries during my time in the circle with more than six months at a time, 12 locations outside of home of the United States. We are in a bubble wow. here in the United States. Mm-hmm, we and do. From, from outside perspective looking in, that bubble, and as a media major, that bubble that we live in is, uh, is caused us to be succumbed into whatever distractions are available at the at the given moment. And right now, there's more than just distractions. You know, the earthquakes and all of these things definitely got people running around buying stuff, you know, getting getting their, their spiritual and, and physical and, and material goods in order. But at the same time with you got you can't exclude, you know, the distraction. That's a that's a factor we who have specialized in mastering how to attract people's attention with visual imagery, that is a factor that we we analyze and look at to, to do that, to distract mm-hmm. or attract them and their attention. So when I look at the media in terms of both the political real news and or fake news and or you know, averages, all of those things. This is something the human mind has not even encountered in history. You know what I mean? When you really look at the bombardment mm-hmm. of what's going on, you know, a lot of people may or may not even be conscious or recall because of this these issues in their face that they have to deal with right now. And I, I'd really like to know how many people, by the way, do you think there are who actually work for corporations as opposed to small business? Well, I'm not talking about just corporations, but the major corporations that who they fear their jobs are lost. What's the percentage of the population, 350 million in America right now, who uh, work for large corporations uh, who have who have fear of re- reprisal from their activities in these things? That that is a major factor too, I think. But I don't know. That's why I'm mm-hmm, asking that mm-hmm. question. Well, one of the things I think that. One of the things is that politics has become so vitriolic in America that very few people will voice any political thought within their workplace. Yes, ma'am. Or outside of it right now because they're under surveillance, you know. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) But I think that it's, you know, very, very few people are taking risks in their workplace mm. and by, um, by not doing about like anything, mm-hmm. whether yeah. it be small business or whether it be corporations. Because yeah. I think what people have become not to trust is that uh-huh. the people who they thought were their friends and essentially good people, yes, that their goodness does not extend to their politics. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah, can't yeah. trust it. And it's especially yeah. true for ethnic minorities mm-hmm. because yeah. the kind of brew of racism that has bubbled to the top mm-hmm. makes people very nervous. Yes. Who yes. can I trust that really understands the issue of race in this country? Who is not my kin? Yes. And you know, all yes. people, all people who your color ain't your kin, yes. as Zora yes. Neale Hurston would say. Mm-hmm. But I think that mm-hmm. the distrust is so deep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The misunderstandings mm-hmm. because of what we do here in the public discourse mm-hmm. is yes. so confusing 
that yes, people yes. are not even going there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I did last week was I made up a flyer of my own uh, about the information where people could get information about Troy Davis, um, how they could sign petitions, who they should call, et cetera, et cetera. And I made up about 500 copies. Uh-huh. And I folded Probably them. And I passed them around on the train and the bus. Yeah. And, oh. you know, and, yeah. and, and I was looking at people and saying, no, they don't want one. <laughs> Yeah, and I did have I did I had four people who followed me off the train to ask me Uh for one because they had seen the one that I had given to somebody else. Yeah, where you in New York? No, I'm in Boston. Okay, you say the train. Okay, got you. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's 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 good. That's it's better. I mean, it's a sign. It's a sign. You know. Exactly. Exactly. And I sent uh, about 50 of them to an NAACP dinner on yes. Saturday night because I couldn't attend. And I had um, my uh, husband and my grandson uh-huh. to distribute them at yes. the dinner. Yes. Yes. And I felt pretty safe about doing that. Nobody was going to get slapped because oh, yeah. the NAACP no. is, is supporting Troy Davis. So everybody, you know, all of the real people. But you know, at the at the local dinner, do you Mm -hmm. know at the local dinner, Mm -hmm. they spent less than two minutes on the issue Mm -hmm. of Troy Davis. Really? While their president is out knocking down doors, they spent less than two minutes on the issue. See, this is where we get wrong, and I don't want to take you off your points, but I just wanted to say that. You're complimenting so, that you're answering some things I need answering as an artist, as a human, human humanities major, you know, to answer. But one of things. the things that I think that is 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 very important in what you're saying is that we we have less we have less respect and we we honor less art in our yes. society today oh, yeah. than we did, say, in the 70s. And yeah, the images right were important because they, mm-hmm. paintings and posters had messages. Yes, yes, yes. You know my art. And so, those I messages mean, aren't getting through today. Do, you know, I'm sorry. They are and they're not. I want to say this. I, I, um, I'm involved with a youth group called Conscious on, on Facebook, and they are the youth. I mean, they are very brilliant-minded individuals. These people are so deep. They're teaching me more things than I could have ever hoped for. Uh, they are, I, I've just been totally impressed. And then when I look at the election itself, and I'm talking about the 2008 election, and look at how many people voted their conscious and are righteous people when it came to the vote, granted, that was based on the fact that they had some uh, accurate information, <laughs> you know, but as compared mm-hmm. to now. But um, but still, that told me where the true spirit of America lies. And as a vet and a soldier, I I I I, I, I it's a war between uh, arousing the true spirit of America and it being oppressed. And that that is bottom line. And uh, I think they are here. We are here, you know. And we are conscious. We're growing in our consciousness very very rapidly. And there's a race, in my personal opinion, between growth of that consciousness and the the oppression of it through the media, et cetera. You know, it's a messaging, and 
I mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. see I also see that the 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 um, the messaging race is 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 very close, and we're 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 ahead one day, and we're behind the next, literally. Uh, when I look at uh-huh. President Obama right now, he he's come out and he's, he's his spirit is revived, and he's he's, he's actually, from what I understand, uh, put forth the 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 the, the, the veto pro- option is in the uh, jobs creation. You know, when I look at things mm-hmm. like that, and uh, and I see things like this, and the consciousness in the groups that I'm involved with, they we are. You know, there is a, a, a it, it is not as 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 hard as as, uh, as hopeless anywhere near as hopeless as people think, in my opinion. Dismal. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's dismal looking, but there's false mm-hmm. reports on the polls that are out right now as well. You know, from what I'm seeing, definitely, I see one poll saying, uh, you know, I don't mean about the presidents or anything, but polls in terms of people standing behind the righteous things when it comes to the issues compared to last year before Citizens United, the effect of issues and people involved with them. They were, it, that was dismal, and it, it's way better than it was last year. That much I'm a witness to because I'm constantly signing petitions and stuff. You know, that's like 90% mm-hmm. of what I do. I get my education and guidance from the petitions that on the issues, you know, and they lead me to this and lead me to, you know, the thing is getting people interested in learning again. You know, not not school learning, but self-taught, self-paced learning is the top tier of learning right now in the universe. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. in, in the whole world. And, and the well, I think people are also discovering what they didn't know. And an example is the national debate on on the um, raising the de- debt ceiling that people yeah. got on that issue. They learned yeah. about it, and they were able to talk about it with intelligence and being informed. Yeah, and the Troy Davis is definitely an issue people are informed. They're, and they're, this Troy a, Davis case, I mean, if we're not paying attention, and I want to suggest to everyone who's listening to this broadcast tonight while we're watching, waiting, and standing with Troy Davis to go to the innocenceproject.org to look at the issues that they have researched in their annual report about why people are wrongfully convicted. And and put that in the light of your political banter about Rick Perry. Well, his name really is James Perry, according to Lawrence O'Donnell tonight. (laughs) And, and, and make, make the comparison. Uh, um, um, do the critical analysis about why in this country we cannot afford to support the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe that there are people, as one of our callers called on Saturday night and said that there are people who are c- clearly guilty. As a human rights activist, I simply cannot support the capital capital punishment. But there are some special things we ought to do about vicious, evil killers in this country. And it ought to be specialized. You know, for instance, one of the things I think that people who have been, who are clearly guilty... Who have been sentenced to life with life 
without parole ought to be also isolated from their families. Imagine for I mean imagine that as a deterrent. Mm-hmm. That if you if I kill this person with premeditated thought, I will never see my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, my children ever again in life. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That is a deterrent. And, and and sometimes, Stuart, I also think that people commit vicious crimes. Um, they behave in a way which results in tragedy because they are tragic themselves and they already have yes. a death wish. Yes, ma'am. Can I say one thing? I've, I've been on probably sure. long already. Um, looking at it, that whole issue of the death penalty from the outside of this country in and from the inside mm-hmm. of this country with consideration to that media uh, bubble and being a mm-hmm. media major, at the, the the conditioning of America over the last 20, 30, 40 years in terms of what kinds of things have been programmed or allowed to be programmed on television uh, throughout the media and the things that have been shut down and oppressed, uh, every, every good – I mean, come on, the Simpsons talking about everything that you wouldn't have your child here at prime time uh-huh. hours for 20 years, you know, 10 years uh-huh. or whatever. The Simpsons, the uh, the other show, what's the one with the little raghead looking people? They, they now, you know, there's a little cutout. They look like rag dolls cut out. Uh, uh, I have no uh, idea. South, South, South Street, South South Park, South, South Park. Park. Uh huh. Uh-huh, oh, they uh-huh. cursed and everything throughout that whole thing. And and ninety percent, when they kill people, somebody dies in the cartoon. There's always people dying in blood and guts in the cartoon for children, right? And the yeah. only one I haven't seen anything like that on is like uh, SpongeBob. Or uh-huh, but but even look at movies like that are made for children. Movies mm. that are made for children have a lot of violent yes. thought. Yes. Even Harry if Potter. there is no killing, violent thought, and well, our children become children. desensitized to yes. dying and to killing and to murder and to and, all kinds of evil doing. Right, and then look at it in terms of from the outside, in terms of the death rates and the, the, the penalties and everything else, do you know, I was totally shocked to learn in Sicko, in uh, Roger, uh, excuse me, Michael Moore's movie Sicko, that uh, Canada, right next door to us, they average something like 1% of the amount of crime that we have in America, 1%. It was like one, one whole state in Canada had 70 crimes within a whole year. You see, and, and I ran into this constantly. I lived in, when we, I lived in, in Naples. They have 50% unemployment, but their crime rate is almost nothing. If if you yeah. if somebody if they if they, if they, they they have a lot of thefts, but you know if somebody breaks in your home, here's the law: somebody breaks in your home, you're allowed and you're there, you're allowed to slap them one time. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People are, you know, they don't and have, the thing uh, is that. I think that even with the Troy Davis case, Stuart, that people have become desensitized, that this is something that just is, rather than this is something that shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Yes. That's why I wanted to bring up the outside, the the fact that I saw and that we saw from the outside of this country looking in, in terms of how how really everybody just, just totally, everybody I met, 
when I talked to them about the United States, they were like totally bewildered by how we could have so much and and still have so much uh, of, of this 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 oppressive right. uh, attitude about humanity. Mm-hmm. We we we, mm-hmm. we we had the Renaissance. We supported the humanities. We created hip hop, you know, jazz, you know, rock and roll, and and all of these premier uh, fruits fruits of humanity. But at the same time, here we are, the, the, really taking on a persona of total of total opposite of those fruits. And the bottom line is that that it's all about the, the, our 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 tendency towards physical greed, you know, physical desire and physical uh, overindulgence that has allowed us to be to to escape whatever reality we wanted to escape. Oh, I don't want to think about that, so I'm gonna go over here and watch my football game. You know, or, or go down mm-hmm. here and entertain myself, and I'm working so hard because we're the also when you factor in that we are the most worked country in the world. Really, we we work more hours than anybody is any industrial nation. Over there in Italy, they work, but they get like what four hours lunch break. You know, it's yeah. just like whoa, four hour lunch break, and they are happy as mm-hmm. I don't know what. These people they live longer than anyone else on the planet except for the Japanese. You know, it's mm-hmm. up until this horrible disaster. And they go to work earlier too. They go yes. to work earlier. They get uh, two hours lunch yes. break, oh, and yes. they okay. leave work two hours yes. earlier than we do. They actually yes. okay. end up working about six hours a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. My point, though, come back to this whole thing that has have us even debating this issue of whether or not this man should 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 be. He should have been free years ago, let alone on trial for yes. his life. You know, they, yes. they're looking at us, and they they got they got cable. You know, they they, yep. they watch. You know, they got to be. Yeah, and he's been sitting on death row since 1991. Mm. So, you know, oh god, and the rest of our prisoners, and, and especially the political prisoners. How many of? Oh god, that's all I'm. I'm going to get off because I I, I don't give other people a chance. Well, uh, let me ask you, Stuart, are you a new listener? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm, I've been a Facebook friend of yours for a long time, though. Okay, great. Great. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I, I hope I, you'll I, join us um, each uh, Sunday n- night. We're going to be talking more about uh, the death penalty on Saturday night. I don't know why I said Sunday. I'm getting mixed up because uh, Monday night is usually our TruthWorks Network show, Power Views. But um, we decided that we needed to have these three nights to really get through this because, you know, one of the things is uh, I, I felt a squeezing in my chest on yesterday when I started thinking about Troy Davis is not unique. This case is not unique. Uh, people have been executed, and people in his position still sit on death row and will never get the kind of notoriety that he got. And one of the reasons that he got the kind of notoriety that he got is because the Pope and Jimmy Carter and Bill Sessions happened to see a news report on this on this case. Hmm. Okay. When was it that the Pope uh, actually made that uh, uh, statement? It was right after the Supreme Court ordered a review in okay. March. Because I know I've heard, uh, I've actually heard President President uh, Clinton and 
uh, President uh, President Obama mentioned this case in other conversations. I don't know if it was Charlie Rose or interviews with uh-huh. other people, but I've had I've heard all of them uh, mention you know our in, in the same context of of our humanity in terms of what we're you know suffering with here in America right now with this. Uh, consciousness, over-prevailing oppressive consciousness, yeah. uh, forcing itself on us through the media and everything else, you know, and ignoring the reality of who we really are. And, uh, well, I'm it. just saying to people out there that uh, based on some of the work that I've been doing over the last six or seven months on this case is that the ancestors are watching. Yes, 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 yes. They are watching. Stuart, thank you so much for your call, and I hope you'll join us thank each you. Saturday night at Our Common Ground. Thank you, thank you so very much, and I uh, hope you'll you. join us tomorrow night uh, to continue this watch. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. We'll probably have a decision by tomorrow night. So tomorrow night there will be we will be grieving um, in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that we have a tendency in this country to find the middle of the road, and if this board decides to do anything, I think that what they will do is issue a stay, have continued the hearings, and then uh, Brother Troy Davis may be just sitting on death row uh, unless this board uh, declares um, a clemency for him and orders a new trial, and that's something that they can do. I'm going to believe that they will, and, and thank you again, ma'am, so much for, for transmitting this, this vibration throughout. This well, thank you, your work and be well, my brother. Thank you. That was Stuart of Decatur, Georgia. Our number is 347-838-9852. And we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to review this case once again, and I will bring you up to date on what has transpired today. I'm Janice Graham, and this is Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. This is Our Common Ground. We are all Troy Davis. Demand justice for Troy Davis. Stop this execution. You, you must act and act quickly. We can do it. Stop the execution of Troy Davis. Learn more quickly. Sign petitions. Make those calls. Stop the execution of Troy Davis. We are all.
common ground. Talk that matters. We know what to do with radio. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Tonight at our common ground. Please join our chatters in at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. You also should be reminded that we will be here for the next three nights. Tomorrow we expect that the Georgia Board of Pardons and Parole will issue. Tomorrow evening we'll issue a decision in the case, the clemency case of Troy Davis, and we hope that you will be with us. We are here to share, as you know, for those of our loyal listeners like um, O'Henry and Lions X Den, uh, Doc Don, the Don is in. Don, uh, why don't you call the office? I I need to talk to you, an old, old, uh, experienced person looking at how the law is implemented um, in this country. Uh, you know the number, 347-838-9852. Call the office, please. The Don. Uh, Alpha is with us tonight, and O'Henry, and we have some guests uh, in our chat room, and we thank you for being with us. We want to uh, remind you that we will be here for the next three nights. Uh, tomorrow night is a night that uh, we will either welcome justice or stand in the face of injustice. That's what it boils down to, folks. Whether the law will allow justice or be a barrier to it. Uh, Today, the Georgia State Board of Pardons and Paroles reviewed clemency requests for condemned inmate Troy Davis and at 719 wrapped up their considerations and they will be back tomorrow. The board can grant clemency and commute the death sentence to life without parole, life with the possibility of parole or deny clemency or it can issue a stay to further consider the case. And um, we want to bring you um, up to date. I think that let's try to review what has happened in this case that brings us to today. If I knew then what I know now, Troy Davis would not be on death row. You have a situation that is extremely emotionally 
charged for the police themselves. The witnesses have testified that they were subject to undue police pressure or coercion. When the witnesses recant that testimony, there's no case left. This person could die for something they didn't do. A verdict that's not ironclad is not good enough to support a death penalty. Troy Davis is set to die for the murder of a police officer in Savannah. And today, in Atlanta, Davis supporters deliver more than 600,000 petitions to the Georgia Pardon and Paroles Board seeking to stop the execution. And CNN's Gary Tuckman has the Davis story and the reason so many are now calling for his life to be spared. It's anything but a routine question. How scared are you of possibly being executed. But it's relevant because the man I'm talking to, Troy Davis, may soon be a dead man. A jury only took a few hours to decide he was guilty of murdering a police officer in Savannah, Georgia. A few more hours to decide on lethal injection. Brenda Forrest was one of the jurors. He was definitely guilty. All of the witnesses, um, they were able to, you know, to, to ID him as, as the person who actually did it. There was no DNA or physical evidence against Davis. The primary reason he was convicted? Witness testimony. The slain police officer's wife trusted the witnesses. They were just so adamant about what they saw, when they saw it. But this is how the juror feels today. If I knew then what I know now, Troy Davis would not be on death row. The verdict would be not guilty. What she knows now is this. Almost all of the prosecution's star witnesses have changed their stories. Some saying police pressured them to say Troy Davis did it. One of those people is Daryl Collins, a prosecution witness who signed a police statement implicating Troy Davis. I told them over and over that this is, I didn't see this happen. They put what they wanted to put in that statement. Savannah police officer Mark McPhail was working an off-duty job here. He was providing security at night for this bus station and for this Burger King restaurant that is currently out of business. There was a homeless man in this parking lot who was being harassed and intimidated. He yelled for help. The officer ran over, and seconds later, Officer Mark McPhail was shot and killed. It was tragic, horrifying, and chaotic. And two decades later, it all still is. The man who admitted to harassing the homeless person went to police the next day and told them he saw Troy Davis shoot the officer. Wanted posters went up all over Savannah. A reward offered to catch the so-called dangerous cop killer. Racial tensions inflamed. After the shooting, Troy Davis was in Atlanta four hours away. His sister says, scared for his life. So when my brother decided to turn himself in, they already had a shoot-to-kill order on him. This man, Derek Johnson, a pastor, got in touch with Davis. He volunteered to pick him up and drive him back to Savannah to surrender. He says Troy Davis insisted he was innocent. The pastor, who has never told the story to a reporter before, was stunned the DA's office never interviewed him. You're with this man for four hours. You're bringing him back to Savannah to police custody. They never interviewed you? Never talked to me. Never asked you a question about your journey? Never. What he said, if he had a weapon, if Nothing. he admitted to the crime, Nothing. if he didn't admit to the crime? Nothing. And this is the one case where nobody wanted to know. And I don't think now, looking back, that anybody cared. The pastor is one of many who now believe facts be damned. Troy Davis was going to be arrested for murder. 
As for the Savannah police, they have always said their witness interviews were taken properly, no coercion, and prosecutors have stood by the conviction. But a number of witnesses have signed affidavits changing their original testimony. Dorothy Farrell is one of them, a former prison inmate. She writes, I was scared that if I didn't cooperate with the detective, then he might find a way to have me locked up again. So I told the detective that Troy Davis was the shooter, even though the truth was that I didn't see who shot the officer. And a witness named Jeffrey Sapp now writes, The police came and talked to me and put a lot of pressure on me to say Troy did this. They made it clear that the only way they would leave me alone is if I told them what they wanted to hear. During the trial, Davis's attorneys tried to convince jurors a man named Sylvester Red Coles was the killer. We tried to find Coles to give him a chance to have his say. We talked to his family members, but could not track him down. I don't believe that Red Coles is the one that uh, killed Mark at all. But among those who believe the case should be reopened are politicians who don't always agree with each other, ranging from former President Jimmy Carter to conservative former Georgia Congressman Bob Barr. Troy Davis has been hours away from execution three times. He's now one week away from his fourth execution date. Gary Tuckman, CNN, Savannah, Georgia. Troy Davis would not be on this road. It, the verdict would be not guilty. It's a lot of people believe in the death penalty, but they're still working in Troy's behalf because they believe that Troy is innocent. I believe if all these thousands and thousands of people know that, believe and know that Troy is innocent, you know, God sees that. I am Troy Davis. I am Troy Davis. I am Troy Davis. And indeed, we all are Troy Davis. You're listening to Our Common Ground, the Troy Davis Vigil. 405, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Well, thank you, Janice. Uh, you're welcome. I, uh, myself, uh, put my loan appeal in for this man's life to be spared. Well, you know, Don, one of the things that I have consistently said about this case is that oftentimes, too often, the law is a barrier to justice. And in this case, uh, as an attorney, you understand that the procedural law has gotten in the way of very key evidence and the defense in ensuring that this man never saw an execution date again. What's your take on it? Well, you know, uh, to me, it's quite clear that you know, there's been an injustice uh, done here with regard to uh, Troy Davis. When you have, uh, first of all, when you look at the background of uh, the uh, environment in which the killing took place and realizing that this is in the 80s, this is Savannah, Georgia, and it's 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 such that uh, the police officers, having been a police officer, know how to put pressure on certain individuals in the community 
whom they probably have dealt with before in order to uh, get a conviction. Now, remember, this is a police officer that was killed, so there's a lot of emotion. And a white police officer at that. Yes, 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 Janice. And so you've got to take that into consideration and the uh, past practices of the state. Yes. When we look at uh, Texas and we look at Georgia and we see the uh, number of individuals uh, who have been convicted and later on exonerated by DNA, I think it's something like 188 or 87 of these individuals were of color, melanated individuals. So you have a very, very disproportionate uh, number with reference to uh, individuals being uh, given the death penalty. And given the fact you know, let me interrupt you just for a minute because I think there's another factor that goes into this, a factor that is in evidence but was never considered by the court. Um, and the defense found it very the original defense in um in their in in a way of negligence or inadequacy never questioned the 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 autopsy which revealed that this police officer uh was tested positive at autopsy for cocaine yes uh, yeah, that's, now, that's, that's not to blame the victim, but it is to say that something quite different might have been at play here. Uh, yes. You know, like I said, you know, you never know, you know, uh, you know, there's there's a number of individuals that, that are in the community. I, I don't know all of the uh, backgrounds of the individuals that, the defense put on, but uh, if they were familiar with the police and the police had uh, reason to hold something over their head or to coerce uh, a, uh, their testimony, uh, then that's obvious to me that that might have been done in this case, given the fact of the recantations on it. And... Uh, you know, it's nothing new. You know, having been in that environment, uh, they're going to stick together, and they're going to use their uh, opportunities that they have created. Uh, although they may, they they are unjust to coerce this testimony because more than likely, they're you know uh, they're going to going to hold them over hold something over their heads. I mean, that's the way it, it is. Just just like you have the uh, individuals who are cooperating with the police who have prior criminal records and that will uh, testify, especially in drug cases, uh, as to what the prosecution wants to hear. And, I mean, yeah. everybody knows who's out there taking, taking the, involved in the, in, the, in, in, in the drugs, and Savannah's not that big, you know, with yeah. that, you know to yeah. uh, uh, what's the drug... Uh, uh, um, users and pushers and crime and et cetera. You know, they know what's going on. But just the mere fact 
that you have seven of the nine individuals recant their testimony in and of itself should be a reason to give this man another trial. Err on the side of life, because once yep. he's dead, he's he's gone. Yep. And There's a lot uh, of you know, so so what is what is obviously. problem? What is the problem? Is it, are they afraid that it may expose uh, some uh, some some corruption in the uh, justice system uh, in Savannah? Uh, you know, I would be one to say that with my experiences uh, with the um, criminal justice system, uh, it's just not good when, in, when it comes to uh, our people, period. Well, well here's, here's my take on it, that uh, initially in this case you had incompetent law enforcement collecting for forensics, and protecting the crime scene. Then you had eyewitness misidentification going on. Then you had government misconduct because the people who were responsible for ensuring truth and justice, law enforcement uh, officials and prosecutors, lose sight of their obligations and focus instead on securing convictions. convictions so, yes, because, I mean, let's face it, the prosecution is going to get elected based upon their uh, so-called uh, record, uh, you yeah. know, and especially yeah. when it comes to uh, uh, law enforcement. And, and when you're talking about elected officials and you're talking about the prosecutor in this case, is a black elected official. And he's looking at the community at large and looking at his political largest and who he owes political uh, allegiance to in order to be reelected. Absolutely. You see what and I'm saying? So... Race comes into play in a lot of the the parts, the features of this case. Certainly, um, and, uh, you know, but to see the the thing of it is, is the question that must be asked is in light of the uh, circumstances of this case, why do they not want to? Give this individual a fair trial. Why? Why? What is what is the what is well, the reason, or what are the reasons for them to be so adamant? When, in light of the fact that you have the 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 Pope involved in this, and you have a lot of citizens, just laypersons. Who, who 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 can see that an injustice has taken place? You let know. me let me try to respond to that because I think that it lies in the issue of two things: the big P and the big R. P and R. Presidents and reform. Because 
if Troy Davis is issued a clemency tomorrow by this board, there are going to be some very legitimate examination of this case from a larger landscape. Exactly. A much larger landscape. Mm-hmm. People are going to be calling for the Department of Justice to examine the case, and once the case has been resolved in terms of the execution, the Department of Justice can do that. The White House is going to be called on for reform, utilizing this case as an example. Law enforcement, that's your PNR, and then there's the big Q. Who set up the witnesses in terms of coercion and influence? Who screwed up the forensic? The forensics. I mean, the idea, Don, you know, as an attorney, as an investigator, the idea that they took all the witnesses to one place and the witnesses were talking to each other and, and, and I mean, how tainted can a witness pool be? Yeah, you have the doctrine of the, uh, of the fruit of the poisonous tree. Uh, which is just the fact that if they're all associated there together and decisions are being made and the decisions are being made are, are unlawful uh, with ref- reference to procedure, then everything else that follows that is, is should be uh, declared unlawful. However, when you're dealing with, uh, like I said, the police department there in Savannah, they're the ones who are going to investigate this and you might have some uh, assistance from the DA's office uh, investigation, but the police department itself will will be charged with developing the facts, with interviewing the witnesses, uh, and getting the case actually to uh, a point to where the district attorney can, the attorney can say yay or nay, I will prosecute this case. And so we never know what what's going on yep. because the the light has has been uh, you know there's a crack in the in the door and there's a little light coming in on this thing and it's it doesn't appear favorable to uh, government here. I'm talking about the police department. I'm talking about the DA's office. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another so question that I wanted to I wanted to ask you about. There's another question that I have. Mm-hmm. And that is, in most cases where there is a fatality involving a police officer in murder, where there is a murder of a police officer, most local and state law enforcement officials bring in the FBI. Where was the FBI in this case? I, I don't. I do not know. You know, like I said, it's up to the local authorities there to involve them in this uh, uh, situation. Yes, uh, you know, you would have uh, FBI come in and do an investigation, especially if it, if the community was, uh, you know, uh, so involved as they were and are in this particular case. I mean, look at the response that you have. Uh, from the public 
with reference to uh, wanting uh, the, the light of day to be shed on this particular case and wanting to give this man uh, clemency or a stay of execution, a new trial to, uh, uh, you know, to resolve these uh, questions that are so blatant uh, that, uh, you know, a child can even uh, understand that there's something wrong here, you know. But like I said, Janice, you look at the background and you look at at Savannah, Georgia, you look back at the time frame, put yourself in that uh, time frame and see what was going on. And, uh, you know, then you understand what you're up against. And you're absolutely the, right. Being, uh, you know, somebody's going to pay for that white, white officer, period. I mean, you got that, that's, that's just uh, evident. Someone and, and, you know, this is another case, like in the case of James Byrd in Mississippi, uh, this is a, is a case of expediency in justice according to a Southern Code. Yes, you, you, you have that uh, fraternity. And, and, and my, my dear friend David uh, in the chat room uh, has indicated eight out of every ten people who have been executed so far had white victims. Eight out of every ten people sitting on death row right now had white victims. He also notes from Sister Helen Prejean, the 10 states that practice slavery carry out over 80% of the executions in this country. This is why we cannot stand in support of capital punishment. Absolutely, Janice. Uh, You know, I was at one... I, I, I mean, you know, you have a grandson. I have a grandson. I have the most brilliant, genius, handsome, um, uh, kind, gentle grandson ever there is on the planet. And but for the grace of God, go he, as he grows up to be a, a black man in this country. And that is what we, that is the prize we have to keep our eye on. If this is a matter the rejection of the cap of capital punishment is a matter of survival for black Absolutely. men. Absolutely. When you look at the statistics and the and the disproportionate uh, way that uh, the death penalty has been administered and those on death row, and actually the numbers in prison, uh, uh, that t- that should tell you something right there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I have a son-in-law who's a Morehouse graduate, a Harvard Law School graduate before um, President Barack Obama. Um, He was in Michelle Obama's class. Uh, Columbia School of Journalism, I mean education uh, graduate. And he could have been in that parking lot in the dark that night and been fingered and but for the grace of God go he. We have to understand that this statement, I am Troy Davis, is not something that is a folly. 
Yeah, it's not this a cliche. It's, it's something that's, that that uh, individuals feel that uh, can very well happen. It depends on the circumstance. You find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, you know, then you're going to have have hell to, to, to dig out of that hole that, they, that, that you're going to be put in, especially it, if exactly. you're a melanated person in this country. And that's just yeah. a that's just a fact, uh, you know. You you can take judicial notice of that. that we and have, we have to start. We have to start taking justice in every element of our lives. Justice has to be something that we take seriously. It is not something that we want for ourselves, because just having it for yourself does not protect you, and your silence does not protect you. Thank you, David, for reminding me of that. And this not only that, Janice, but we have an obligation to, as as uh, members of the community, to inform and to, uh, to teach our uh, children as they grow about <clears throat> of this criminal justice system and uh, how it operates in this country yeah. and how yeah. they can uh, sort of uh, get the knowledge that they go- they're going to need uh, in order not to be caught up, caught up in it. But when you have a, right. a dropout rate of 50% in our community of school-age uh, uh, children, young teens, that lets mm-hmm. you know we have a severe a severe problem. You're you're right. Hey Don, I gotta go because I gotta close out. But I did want to use your experience and your wisdom, and your willing voice, your clear and concise voice tonight. And I hope that you will join us tomorrow night. I am afraid about tomorrow night. Thanks, Don from Oklahoma. Thank you so much. And thank you all for those of you who are in our chat room, Alpho. Alpho has been holding my hand all weekend. I cannot tell you. I cannot tell you how desperate I feel about what this case means. Lion's Den, Navoxar, so good to see you. I, I can never, you, you always, you, you keep me confused, girl. Because uh, I can never catch your show. Uh, I'm either too early or too late. Uh, oh, Henry, thank you so much for being with us. We have to continue to talk about this because I am telling you, the next time you get in a rage, the next time you get in a rage, remember that the grieving of what is happening here is part of that rage. We cannot continue to absorb all of the hurt and pain of being black in America. We have got to speak up, stand up, resist, act every day. I do it for myself. I have been doing it for my 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 one person that I put on this earth and the people that I love and the children who come in front of me and the shoulders of the people on whom I stand. 
We have to believe that justice must be for all and and we must tell the truth about it every day to ourselves in the mirror and to the people around us. We hope that you will join us tomorrow night here at Our Common Ground as we hold vigil for Troy Davis. Thank you so much for being with us. This is Our Common Ground, Talk That Matters. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. The eyes of the world are on Georgia today as Troy Davis fights for his life in a final bid for clemency. Just two days before his scheduled execution, Davis was found guilty in 1989 for the murder of police officer Mark Allen McPhail. The conviction was based largely on eyewitness testimony. Most of them have since recanted or changed their stories. Troy's final appeal was today in a hearing before Georgia's Board of Pardons and Parole. Outside the meetings, protesters gathered to call for clemency, adding their voices to a chorus that includes former President Jimmy Carter, the Pope, 51 members of Congress, 660,000 people who signed petitions demanding justice. This morning, the board heard from Troy Davis' defense team about the unreliability of eyewitness testimony, the very thing that landed him on death row. The jury did not hear uh, a great deal of the evidence that's been before the board, both presented today and that's been presented to them uh, on paper. They heard a very, very different case uh, than the case that we know of today. The board will make a decision sometime before Wednesday at 7 p.m. when Davis is scheduled to be executed by lethal injection. His life is in their hands. I'm Janice Graham, and I am Troy Davis. Pray, watch, resist. You can still call the Georgia Board of pardons and parole and leave messages. This is Troy Anthony Davis. I've been sitting on Georgia's death row for a crime I did not commit. I will never take another human being's life. And this killer is still out there. My family's in mourning. The victim's family's in mourning. And the truth is still locked in because I didn't get justice. Does the court system employ racists? Then why are so many black boys in cages? Why shouldn't I be paranoid of hatred? Just look at the curious case of Troy Davis. Let's travel on down to Savannah. In the state of Georgia, just south of Atlanta. Where they wave a rubber flag like a bandana. Hunger ancestors imposed for the cameras. A white police officer was shot and killed. Over an argument, he tried to stop and heal. But here's where the plot is real. The main suspect blamed Troy, went to the cops and squealed. And with no physical evidence of weapon, Troy was arrested for a 187. He said he was an innocent man when he was questioned. But they said he did it. Who needs a damn confession? They just need a witness. They can press the crime. Tell them what to say or they'll arrest the guy Then put them on the stand and make them testify Swear to God to tell the truth and do their best to lie And they did for Troy was found guilty Sent the death row by a scheme so filthy Even though his innocence was true We pray they don't reminisce over you, my God Almost all of the prosecution's star witnesses have changed their stories Some saying police pressured them to say Troy Davis did Daryl Collins is one of the prosecution witnesses who signed a police statement implicating Troy Davis. And I told him over and over that this is, I didn't see this happen. 
they put where they want to put in that statement. But the truth always comes to light And Troy Davis didn't give up the fight He kept filing the bill Until it was revealed The state of Georgia wants an innocent man killed That's why who's who want him out Cause it's just too much doubt And witness after witness came forward And admitted the only reason they did it Is cause police insisted So wicked, so vicious The system's broke, so fixed it Two decades, no Christmas Execution dates, full listed Get organized, show resistance Go online, sign those petitions Black Americans know the difference It's a new day, but the same old lynchings I am Troy Davis Families destroyed by cases Why can't we avoid the matrix? Instead of giving his children toys to play with He's waiting his execution, hoping the court stays it And I'm praying and doing We need action, we need movement Cause his innocence is true I pray they don't reminisce over you, for real Brenda Forrest was one of the jurors all of the witnesses, um, they were able to, you know, to, to ID him. This is how the juror feels now. If if I knew then what I know now, Troy Davis would not be on death row. It, the verdict would be not guilty. It's a lot of people believe in the death penalty, but they're still working in Troy's behalf because they believe that Troy is innocent. I believe if all these thousands and thousands of people know that, believe and know that Troy is innocent, you know, God sees that. I am Troy Davis. I am Troy Davis. I am Troy Davis. I am Troy Davis. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.